Welcome to Sky Talkers. Here are your hosts, Charlotte and Caitlin. Hello, and welcome to Sky Talkers. I'm your host, Charlotte. Hey, everyone. I am your other host, Caitlin, and welcome to this week's Mando Time. Question Mando mark? Time. Mando Time. <laughs> okay. Mm, I sorry. don't like that. I don't like it either. <laughs> But it's there. Uh, okay, so <laughs> chapter five of The Mandalorian we are discussing today, which is the episode entitled The Gunslinger. And note, we have welcomed back the article, the. <laughs> Thank God. <laughs> <laughs> right? But now, but now, last week just is totally an outlier. And I'm like, why did they, why did they let that one be named Sanctuary without the why Sanctuary? Why couldn't it have just been the Sanctuary? Yeah. You know, why would they allow that when all the other ones have the child, the sin, the gunslinger, Sanctuary? It's rude. It's just. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, I'm going to blow past it just like we did last week. <laughs> um, you may have noticed that this week's uh, recap discussion of the Mandalorian is a little later than we have been putting them out and that's because we are in podcast overdrive (laughs) (laughs) we're putting the pedal to the metal and we just needed to kind of pump the brakes a little bit just a smidge we just needed to you know like slow down just a little bit uh if you guys aren't aware Charlotte and I have a three hour and 47 minute (laughs) pre-trial speculation episode (laughs) that went up last week so (laughs) it is all of our (laughs) final and the thing is that was three hours and 47 minutes we recorded for almost five hours so yeah (laughs) (laughs) the thing that Caitlin and I were just saying before we started recording that we definitely could have done a part two because (laughs) so ridiculous there are so many things we missed and other things that we wanted to talk about so really I'm just saying that January when we really dig into the Rise of Skywalker is going to be very juicy (laughs) like i'm like so many parts i'm like can our server like our podcast server even handle it it doesn't even know what's coming it's like oh my god new year new me our podcast server and we us we're like (laughs) (laughs) just you wait (laughs) podcast server (laughs) (laughs) you don't even know what's coming (laughs) truly um but yeah, so uh, Rise of Skywalker comes out next week. Um, everything is fine. <laughs> We're really keeping it together over here. <laughs> Charlotte cried a total of twice in our trial speculation episode. <laughs> and it's fine. She edited out one of it, so <laughs> it's totally fine. But we also have a really exciting thing, a little bit of a surprise that will be coming next week as well. And we are really excited for you guys to hear that episode. We also recorded it this weekend. So please, uh, please look forward to that. And this episode is, like we said, all about Chapter 5, The Gunslinger, which was written and directed by the one and only Dave Filoni. And going to be honest, this episode, I think it's, it had a very mixed reaction online that's kind of the only way I can describe it. Um, Charlotte and I have both watched it twice. We, It's going to be an interesting discussion. That's all I can say. <laughs> mm-hmm. So how about mm-hmm. we do it this way? Uh, let's break it down into our first and second viewings because that we're very different. So what did you think upon your first viewing of this episode? So at 6.45 in the morning on Friday <laughs> – I was, this was after we had um, recorded for five hours the night before, just FYI. Oh, yeah. yeah. I forgot about that. 
it's really funny. Um, I did not love this episode initially. And I felt very like kind of thrown off by all the callbacks. I think that maybe my my brain really wasn't working. It just did not really sit right with me. I didn't love the ending. The 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 ending at the end kind of truly went over my head. It wasn't until I got on Twitter where I was like, people are confused about who's at the end. I'm so confused. I didn't realize that that was even a call, like a, a something that I should be paying attention to, which might speak to my exhaustion level (laughs) but yeah I I did not walk this episode on Friday afternoon at least was probably my least favorite episode it so far but that's I I just have to say that that's fine like I think it's okay to have a least favorite episode in a season because your least favorite Star Wars is still Star Wars Mm -hmm. and I it's not that I didn't enjoy this episode but it definitely felt a little different it felt uh it just felt different than the than the others, and I know that Sanctuary also felt different, but it felt like a, a necessary break after the action of Chapter Three, mm-hmm. and it, it this this episode felt different in a way that it felt like we were jumping right back into the action of two and three, and it felt I don't know it I, I it just felt a little uncomfortable to me. Several like choices I did not sit with me well. Yeah, yeah, I have to agree. I and the part of Charlotte's morning story that she's leaving out is that she drank. You didn't actually make your coffee. Oh my god, I forgot about this. No wonder nothing stuck <laughs> because. So I, I I was so tired. I have a Keurig, so I put in my pod, put in the water, waited for my coffee. It was dark because I, you know, I wanted to slowly wake up. Also, I'm not going to turn on all my lights to watch The Mandalorian. Hello, I want to make it like a movie theater. And I, it wasn't until after the Mandalorian was over and I was sipping my coffee that I realized I actually didn't put in a K-Pod at all. <laughs> and I was just drinking vaguely almond milk flavored <laughs> water. <laughs> so that's I great. It. I love it. Yeah. Um, so I, I was up a little bit earlier than Charlotte on Friday. So I, I was finished and you were still about halfway through it. And yeah, this was definitely not my favorite episode and still isn't even after my second viewing of it. I was telling Charlotte before the show started, I ha- or before we started recording, that I had a friend over the other night and we were having dinner and talking about The Mandalorian because everyone and their mother is watching it. And yeah. <laughs> who is not talking honestly, about The Mandalorian? Just at people this point. coming out of the woodwork. <laughs> and I was telling her how I didn't like like this episode. And I was talking about it and I was like, you know, I think I'm just – I think personally I've had – I'm so used to treating live action in like very big picture storytelling, i.e. the saga. And it's been actually a difficult transition for me to like appreciate the small-scale storytelling of The Mandalorian. That being said, I I do think this wasn't a great episode, but I think that that has been like – I I mean, I've kind of talked about a little bit throughout our recaps of the season so far, but just like getting used to the Mandalorian himself and these like very self, I think these episodes are much more self-contained than I anticipated for the Mandalorian. I thought we would have a much bigger like through line throughout these episodes, along with these kind of 
missions that were happening each week, but that hasn't really been the case. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. It's just not what I was expecting. And it's been hard for me to like enjoy that. And also I was telling Charlotte too, I was like, I feel like The Mandalorian as a show isn't focusing on the things that I find most interesting about this show. Like when we started you know, all the intrigue was about the client and the empire and, you know, baby Yoda and his baby Yanni, excuse me, and his force powers and what are they extracting? And for me, that's the most interesting thing that is going on in The Mandalorian. But that's not what the show has really been focusing on really for the past two episodes and and even kind of part of uh, Deborah Chow's episode as well. And so I think that also, again, does not necessarily mean that the show is bad. It's just in this instance, like for this piece of Star Wars content coming out, it's not focusing on the things that I find most interesting. And so that too has kind of colored my experience of it, I think, because every week I come into it and I'm like, okay, this is the week when like – Baby Yoda does something crazy and he's just cute and like don't get me wrong (laughs) totally makes my Friday morning but also I'm over here like okay are they extracting many chlorines or are they extracting many chlorines like where when are we picking back up on that and that's just kind of a roundabout way of saying I'm like still working on my feelings toward the show overall I think but I think it's I I love the show, but again, it's just like it's very different than I think I expected from the first two episodes. And I definitely think it'll be something that I benefit from being able to watch all together. And I think I'll be much more prepared going into season two for this kind of storytelling um, that is, you know – like they have their story within the 30 minute premise and like it's pretty much one and done. And then we'll get like we'll get these baby hints of things coming like through the pipeline, but it's not going to be as as like big picture as I think we're used to. Even like with the Clone Wars, though, like you and I always talked about the difference between Clone Wars and Rebels and how you always really liked this arc thing that happened within the Clone Wars over a series of three or four episodes and that wasn't something that was as explored within Rebels and like I would say the same about Mandalorian honestly so yeah all that being said this is not my favorite episode I definitely appreciated it a lot more on second viewing but I can't say that my opinion on it completely changed I will say that actually being online for this episode has really helped me um, like be okay with not loving it as much. I feel like sometimes when you go onto the internet after you love or hate something and you see everyone else's opinions, you tend to just get really frustrated with the internet. <laughs> but this time I actually, I don't know, I actually really enjoyed seeing people's discussions about like all the reasons they really liked it or all the reasons they really didn't. And um, yeah, yeah, I think this, I don't know. That's kind of where my train of thought ends at this point. Yeah, well, I agree with that about the being online situation and seeing other people's takes. And there's something really awesome about when people share what they love about something, even if you disagree with it. So then you're able to see it through their their eyes a little bit or pick up on things that they loved and be like, hey, maybe I could appreciate that. So then the next time I watch it, I do. I do see what they see. Mm-hmm. And it really did help me this the, the second time. And I wouldn't say my opinion is reversed, but I definitely I had a very weird experience just rewatching it even like two hours ago because I was I basically didn't watch it at all throughout the entire weekend because I 
was a little disappointed by it and I didn't really want to engage in online discourse about it, to be honest. And I was like, okay, I'm just going to give this a a break. I'm going to give it a breather. And maybe, maybe it was my own feelings. Maybe I just need to stop rushing into trying to like something with Star Wars. And like, maybe I just need to stop, listen to why people like things and then try to incorporate my own experiences into that. And I think that watching it again, I don't think that everyone, this is not a universal experience, by the way. Watching it again, I really was able to pick on th- pick up on things that I didn't. And it just reminds me that usually first time viewings with Star Wars to me that feel different, that feel off, that I can't ever fully put my finger on why something feels off or is doing something that isn't really playing on my subconscious too well. I need to see it again mm-hmm. and I need to like give it a breather. Sometimes I feel that way about the films. And I actually do feel that way about the films. Usually I'm so overwhelmed by the content that I need the second viewing because like my anxiety takes over in yeah. the first the first viewing. I don't think that that's the same thing here for The Mandalorian at all because I'm not like anxious about getting up in the morning and watching Mandalorian. I'm yeah. not. It's a fun show with cute baby Yoda and a maskless character who I'm growing to really like. And I I don't I don't feel that way. But I do think that there's something there about watching it again that really does change mm-hmm. in like knowing the ending that changes the way you view how the story is told and how the story unfolds and what camera angles are happening and really what exactly is happening in this show. And I think we should get into that because I think there's some really interesting things going on in the show. So the show opens with the Razorcrest being chased by this like boring looking pilot. (laughs) That's the only (laughs) way I can describe it is honestly this like no name pilot who uses the Mandalorian's line, which I guess is his line now. (laughs) Apparently. Yeah, I was like, all right, I guess that's fine. Even though I've heard it before, but it was funny to hear, you know, we're only five episodes in. Like, I guess that's his thing. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought it was, I don't know. I, 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 again, upon second viewing, I should say that I'm probably going to analyze all of this through my second viewing because the first one, I don't know. I just don't know. <laughs> I feel like it was interesting to open with the Razor Crest being like so pummeled. <laughs> I feel like we keep seeing the Razor Crest being like hit to death. Right? And it's really interesting. And I, I wrote this in the notes and I I feel like I'm not a hundred percent there yet, but I'm trying to figure out what the Razor Crest is like a metaphor for for the Mandalorian's like sense of self, like emotional state. I'm just not sure because I would I, I would say that like the deconstruction of it in episode two was kind of what to do with his emotional state and then having to put it back together. But I'm just not, I'm not quite sure. And do you have any thoughts on that, Caitlin? Um, I think it's, I mean, I think, I think like most things in Star Wars, this, the, the symbolism can be quite fluid depending on where it is in the story and, and who's utilizing it. Like in episode two, I think it is pretty symbolic about, you know, him having, it's like, it's like symbolic of, I don't even know if I want to say symbolic, but it is the catalyst for the journey that he has to go on in episode two, which is incredibly symbolic. It, it in and of itself being symbolic, like you have not 100% sure. And you had posed the question in our notes about it being, you know, and, and just now about being symbolic of the Mandalorian's emotional state. And, and I don't necessarily see that. And we're kind of like brainstorming about it. But because like the Mandalorian is not a particularly emotional character and you know like the Razor Crest needed repair in this episode but 
The Mandalorian himself never really seemed unsure of what he was doing or the choices that he was making. So, like, I think that that's kind of the parallel isn't there for me in this episode. I think that definitely could become the case. But at the same time, it's like we haven't. I guess we've spent a lot of time in the Razor Crest, but I don't feel I don't feel like they're growing the Razor Crest the same way that like the Mandalore or the Millennium Falcon has. And I don't know if that's just a product of like we all love the Millennium Falcon, but we don't like explore the Razor Crest the same way we've explored the Millennium Falcon within um, like a New Hope. Even um, we've really only seen well, pieces of it like in the like in Episode One. Well, I would I would say to that that I think in the first few episodes they established the Razor Crest as like a hostile place mm. that exists a carbonite chamber and everything. Yeah. And I think that now we are going to see a sort of transformation, at least if I can predict, of that kind of hostility being peeled away a little bit because we even see like baby Yoda kind of sleeping in the same area that was the the carbonite chamber and everything. I mean, when was the last time we saw? I mean, it's only we're only five episodes in, sure, but we haven't seen the Mandalorian take up a bounty and like free someone in carbonite in in this place, right? We even saw in episode three like uh, grief. We, it was it's mm-hmm. so open, right? That like it is uh, a a place for. Like uh, like aggressive negotiations really to to thrive, but it's it'll be interesting to see it transform into like a home I, almost. Yeah, you know I, what I mean. I totally get that, but we're over halfway done with the first season, and I don't really see those steps happening. But like I'm with you, and like it should be happening, and I guess that's on me for thinking that all of these things need to be happening in season one. But it's interesting because I don't even see like threads of that and i guess baby yoda sleeping in a different part of the of the razor crest is a thread but i don't know if it's significant or meaningful honestly i would say that it is because the mandalorian leaves him on the ship bundles him up and then when he wakes up he's so confused and it's like his dad left him on the ship alone in in like zero comfort and the only way that he has comfort is by amy um sedaris's character and i think that like leaving him alone on a ship is just not going to happen we saw that in the last one it, it can't be a thing like they have to be a duo they ha- someone has to care for him he he needs attention he needs constant care he's a baby and and i feel like because of that like we see him kind of toddle out uncomfortable and you even have the conversation with amy zadaris being like you can't just leave a baby yeah you just can't do that yeah i guess like this is this is I don't know. I just like I I haven't seen the Mandalorian and Baby Yoda's relationship grow like at all. And that I think is part of like my uncomfortable, not uncomfortableness, but just like the piece again, like that's the piece I'm really interested in. And I don't feel like that's really been happening very mm-hmm. much. I mean, like the past two episodes, the Mandalorian spent more time apart from Baby Yoda than he has with him. Like at this juncture, more like other people have held Baby Yoda longer than the Mandalorian has. And like, sure, we get these like kind of cold opens that don't get me wrong are like freaking adorable with Baby Yoda and the Mandalorian in the cockpit and everything like that. And it's super cute. And like, you see kind of that gruffness, but then, you know, giving him the ball from the top of the 
control panel thing. Like that's super cute, but like what else is there? Um, and that's like, that's what I want more of. And I don't feel like we've been getting it in the past couple episodes and we haven't like that emotion, like I'm losing that emotional connection between them. Um, because yeah, he cares about him and like, he's going to go back for him, but he's not talking to him. We don't like really see the baby Yoda, like, like they're not interacting a ton. Um, like I would expect them to like, imagine if like, for some reason, like baby Yoda had ended up on that trip with, um, the, the stupid bounty hunter and, and the Mandalorian and like Frenic sees it, like sees baby. I, like that would have set up like a whole new dynamic. And like, that was part of the thing you and I loved about Lone Wolf and Cub is that like the baby is there in all of the like conflict and battles and stuff like that. And yeah, we're like getting pieces of that, but it's not, again, like I'm, I'm just kind of like, I want to see more of their relationship develop and it hasn't really gone at all past what happened in episode two and three. Yeah. Well, hopefully it'll develop. Yeah. Yeah. I'm really hoping. And again, this is like me trying to step back and be like, okay, like, is this like, is this just me not seeing the story that I want, not the story that's actually being told because there's a difference and what is going to be like, they've already like season two is already in motion. So like they're going to like all of these things are going to be pulled into season two as well. So maybe I am jumping the gun on some of these things, but I'm also like, well, it is season episode five out of eight. <laughs> so I don't know. It's been the Mandalorian has been like a really interesting trip. Like I said, I think I'm going to I think I'm excited to go back and like watch it in one fell swoop. Yeah, I don't really feel the same way I about mm-hmm. it. If you can't tell, I really like the show and I'm not really confused about it as a big picture. I I feel like we'll get there because I know that how Dave Filoni really does play the long game in certain things. And in terms of arcs, I would say that there is kind of an arc structure similar to the Clone Wars. Like I would say one, two, and three feel like an arc in a way of like find out about the child, realize the child has powers and then save the child, return the child, then save the child. And then now, then you have chapter four, uh, realize I'm never going to be safe with a child. And I think the thesis of chapter five is what I'm hung up on is I'm not really sure what it has to do with the child anymore, like the Mandalorian and the child. And I'm with you with on that one. I just, I, I kind of do see like the first three being an arc, five being a, like a stepping stone and then, I mean, four being a stepping stone and then five being another stepping stone that will lead into the next episode, given the the um, that crazy ending that feels like this could be a two-parter somehow. Yeah, definitely. Um, like, low blow to be like, I know how Dave Filoni does characters. <laughs> how, how he plays the long game. <laughs> I'm reminding you of like you need to be okay with the fact that we're only five episodes in. I like, know, but we're only five, five. Out of, five out of eight. That's it's yeah. not like an only situation. That's over half. That, that's my thing. It's like if this was resistance or like rebel. Well, I can't even talk about resistance. But if this was rebels or Clone Wars, then yeah, absolutely. I'm I'm a hundred percent with you. And like to your point about episode four being a stepping stone, I think that's actually a really good way to describe it. But at the same time, like yeah, the Mandalorian realized like at the end that he can't like just leave baby yoda but that's pretty much all he talked about baby yoda in that episode it's not like that was the running it wasn't like the whole episode he was contemplating 
leaving Baby Yoda there, wrestling with that decision, being sad about having to be separated from Baby Yoda, finally coming to that conclusion, and then realizing that he can't do that. That's not what happened in that episode. That episode was about Sorghum and the community. And then at the end, it was like, I'm going to leave him here. Lil JK, I can't. And like, yeah, that's a takeaway from it. But I definitely wouldn't say that that's the biggest thing that came out of that episode. Or at least it wasn't treated like that within the episode. Um, yeah. So I think I think that you just really want them to return back to the force situation. I do. And then which I don't blame you. Yeah, I don't blame you. I'm like, it's true. Where are you? <laughs> and I think that like it's funny knowing Dave Filoni. It's like I think we think about him as someone who explores like the weird force, but he also kind of creates these like goofy shows too. He, with like yeah. a goofy character and like funny callbacks that again, can we just dive into that? Because I think this is something that really tripped me up in the the first time I watched it. And then after seeing so many reactions online, I was able to to kind of look at and I think you probably were too through a different lens and pick up things I definitely did not notice before Mm -hmm. I definitely rolled my eyes when I found out we were going to Tatooine because I think that there's just there has to be a reason to bring us to this planet and I I was like why are we here like ugh, (laughs) (laughs) because I really I associate Tatooine with the Skywalkers and I feel like this show is definitely not that so I, I I just didn't really know how it was going to fit. And I'm willing to wait on that. Mm-hmm. Okay. I'm willing to wait on it. But I have to say that when we landed in Mos Eisley and like first off landing and you get the, the docking bay with the sign and everything, it was uh, it was kind of a little bit like homey almost. Mm-hmm. Like, that's how I felt. I don't think everyone felt that way. But I, I do think that there's something really interesting happening here when the Mandalorian is walking around tattooing. I saw so many reactions, including my own, of, oh, wow, like it's so sparse. It was like low budget tattooing. But I think we have to keep in mind here that the last time we saw tattooing in this timeline, like canonically, was Return of the Jedi. So we have Luke leave, but then also the end finale scene, which is totally canon, where you go over tattooing and everyone is celebrating. And here we have a tattooing where there are stormtrooper helmets on stakes. And, you know, in the original trilogy, we saw stormtroopers like totally littering all over um, Moss Eisley, right? Mm-hmm. Like stopping Luke and Ben and all these things. And now we have them on a spit and the camera lingers for a long time, makes you really want to think about that. Yeah. And think like, Oh, and, you know, they showed it in the trailer. I I feel like we didn't even think about it. Mm -hmm. You know, I was like, oh, that's cool. But we really stop and think about all the stuff that, like, is now gone now that the the Empire has fallen. And what does that mean for Tatooine? What does that mean for the Outer Rim? Like, we think often about, like, the New Republic rising. You think about Leia and Mon Mothma and all these people creating new government, which is clearly a rocky road, right? But I think that it's it's even more of a like an interesting situation when you get out to places like Jakku. And I guess Jakku isn't necessarily out of rim. I think it's like mid-rim. But regardless, you have um, Tatooine out here in like the middle of nowhere. I think that's the whole point of this planet. And yet they're still kind of wrestling. And like the good guys have won. And now you have a cantina that's totally overrun by droids. You know, the last time we saw it, C-3PO and R2-D2 weren't even allowed mm-hmm. in. And and it's a little barren because there's not I don't know I think that's it's interesting that it's a little barren that there's not that many people walking around there's not like 
an overemphasis on CGI characters, like in the George Lucas special mm-hmm. edition. And I think that I I am still kind of figuring out why that is. And I think that we're supposed to be like, huh, that's interesting. Like, have people left Mos Eisley? Is it not a place that people need to hide anymore because of the empire? And like, therefore, it's not that populous. And you have you have uh, a woman running a docking bay and her like friends are <laughs> Pitroids. And the Pitroids are so happy and yeah. funny. And I I was like super thrilled to see them. Yeah, I was too actually. The the Tatooine setting actually like didn't really bother me at all in this episode, which I think at first at first I missed you know, on, on first viewing I missed the um when the guy said that, Oh, you're coming to Moss Eisley, go to, you know, Docking Bay, whatever, whatever. Yeah, Docking I like Bay, totally missed that. Yeah. Again, it was like six fifteen in the morning, and so as we're walking around, I'm like, "Are we on Tatooine?" <laughs> I was like, "Is that? Are we really back on Tatooine? Is that where we are right now?" It was a little bit like shock, and also there was a- at first an element of like, mm, "Okay, <laughs> guess we're back here." And then seeing what's his face in the in Han Solo's chair, I was like, "All right." <laughs> I guess we're back on Tatooine. <laughs> but it didn't like that didn't really bother me. And then we um our friend Lindsay Romaine um from the podcast Halo Raylo, she actually had this really good thread that kind of detailed more of the like why it's interesting that we're back on Tatooine and you know, for some of the reasons you were discussing too about like, you know, the cantina has droids in it. It's like being uh work like droids are working there. That's completely new. And like um it is really sparse. There are stormtroopers' heads on sticks. Like a lot of stuff has happened here and and it's super barren. And that for me, I was like, you know, I know that Dave Filoni has completely worked through this whole history. Like that's another blurred right? image. That's that's really the yeah, that, that I'm never going to <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> World between worlds image. Please come to me. <laughs> Unblurred. And so I think that was fun because I know, like, I know that Dave has thought through this um, and, like, uh, like the background of Tatooine really well, which I think is really fascinating. Um, so I, I didn't, I didn't mind Tatooine itself. Um so I think I think and like the intrigue that it presents, I think is really cool. And I loved I loved that there was a woman like running the docking bay. I loved the pit droids. I thought they were really funny. <laughs> I enjoyed them. I know. They're I always just, funny. Again, it's like I don't, again, this is like I think my expectations of the show. You know, it was always presented as like game of it's the Game of Thrones of Star Wars, and you know, it's this Western gunslinger, <laughs> and he's just gonna go and like shoot him up, you know, and like really hardcore. And I remember us like at the celebration panel being like, "Well, this is just gonna be like a really macho, gritty show, and like that's a genre, and that's okay." But I wouldn't necessarily call the pit droids macho or gritty <laughs> or anything that happened in sorghum no. as macho or gritty either um so i think I, again no. it's just like my expectations are being uh diverted i mean you use the word subverting i don't know what you just said but it's definitely subverting expectations i honestly think that's what dave is doing is that he's supposed to i feel like he wanted to make you feel kind of like oh this is like different than i remember mm-hmm. but in a way that was like almost the word is an uncanny valley, but like almost like 
so close that it's really similar, but it's just a tiny bit off that makes you feel like a little like, hmm, that's different. And I think that's what was happening to me on my first viewing. But on my second viewing, I was really able to just kind of step back and be like, ah, I think that's what it's supposed to be doing. Yeah. And like the story is actually like functioning in that way to as a in Star Wars, it's just like it's so meta this way that it can be able to do that that it can kind of reference your your nostalgic feelings and kind of turn them on their head in order to show you that things are different, mm-hmm. which I think is so fascinating. You know, the prequels does that flawlessly. And I think this is another form of them doing that here. And I, you used the words in the notes. I don't even know if you meant it, but like you said, the whole place feels like a ghost town. And I really do think that that's what Dave was going for with that Western influence. I mean, the, the episode is called The Gunslinger, which we can get into who that even refers mm-hmm. to. But I... I, I do think that it was supposed to be like, ooh, something's off about Tatooine and like everything that I thought I knew, I actually don't know. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. This this whole episode had, um, I almost want to say kitschy vibe to it. And it did. Like, yeah. wh- even on like second viewing, like on first viewing, I think that was the thing that really I was like. Mm. <laughs> but on the second viewing, I think I, I knew it was coming, like we've kind of been discussing. And so I was better prepared for it and could kind of enjoy that kitsch. And like even in the very like in the in the cold open and he um, that whole explosion where we spend a really long time on the guy's face, like almost like a millisecond too long of him blowing up. <laughs> it's so like it's so 70s, like this whole episode just screams 70s from the hair and the costumes, like even more so than like a new hope itself. <laughs> right. I mean, Amy Sedaris's costume yeah. is it is Ellen mm-hmm. Ripley from 1979. Like, hello, it, it was supposed to be like, oh, I've seen this before. Yeah. But I actually don't know. This. Yeah. There was um, one of our friends on Twitter, Josh Ship Ship, right? Is that how you say his last name? Um, he had this really interesting tweet that totally kind of helped me through my second viewing. And he said, this episode of Mandalorian was one where you could really, quote, see the seams. And I get people not liking that, but I found it oddly charming. And I think that that framing of see the seams of it kind of set the whole episode into a new perspective for me um, about kind of recognizing that that kitschiness within it and how it was trying to be like, this is something you've seen, but it's also not something you've seen. And we're going to kind of, we're going to kind of turn up the dial in a couple of areas, but not in others. You know, like we're turning up the dial and like, these are really 70s costumes. <laughs> and even some of the language mm-hmm. too in this episode as well. You know, Amy Sedaris's character says, you know, fetch me some food. You know, like the word fetch is just... Well, you know, mean girls. Uh, But, you know, like, fetch me some food is not something like we that doesn't necessarily feel very Star Wars all the time, but it worked in here. And then even even uh, Frenic at the end when she's trying to convince the bounty hunter to, like, let her go and help him catch the Mandalorian. He goes, she goes, if you're worried about it, fear not. I'll help you. And that's, like, very nightly almost. You're like, fear not. And it's, like, this very (laughs) – it's not parody, but it's it's close <laughs> um, of like, yeah. you know, fetch me this water, servant, like quickly now and fear not. I'll help you through this troubled time. Or, you know, it just it had these things that were kind of off and not necessarily negatively. It kind of was for me, but that's just my personal opinion. Um, 
but things that were just like a little, a little on a different frequency almost than we're necessarily used to all the time. And kind of even just talking about it makes me feel better about the episode because I do think that it'll be one that actually will stand really well on its own of like this, I don't know, this kind of quirky episode on Tatooine (laughs) with this like ridiculous kid, you know, and he's sitting in Han Solo's chair. Like how dare he? I know. Yeah. That's the thing that's so interesting about it is that I did have that visceral reaction of like, who mm-hmm. is this guy? Acting like Han, kind of looking like Han. He has his boots on, like get your on the feet table. off the table. Like kid. he is Han. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, you're not Han Solo. And I think that again, it's fun. It's just so funny how Star Wars continues to play on our emotions for Han Solo and like our nostalgia that way and how we kind of revere Han. And then it's kind of, it's also interesting to be like, kind of reminded of like I, I'm not sure where I'm going with that but well that that's like that's not his chair that's not Han's chair exactly exactly <laughs> exactly also this character we're not supposed to like him I think on blast points um I'm a patron so I get to listen to their awesome Mandalorian uh episodes which are so great and they get them up so timely which i respect and i <laughs> i think that they were like it's interesting to have a character who is introduced and you're not supposed to like them and then you don't like them and how does that make you yeah. feel i think that it's not like this character is a villain right this is a character because i think i genuinely like vin- villains i think they're interesting characters you don't say. for yeah <laughs> for because i there, there's complications i don't think there's that much complications with this character who's just kind of a brat and like he, he wears the earring like he looks like han he's just so not han he's a rookie but he's not kind of i wouldn't say he is i'm sure there are people who like this character don't get me wrong if you're listening if you like it that's great but i i feel like i was supposed to not like him because he reminds me of like a spoiled little rich kid who thinks that he can just be a bounty hunter because he, you know, got a puck and thinks he knows what he's doing. Oh yeah. A hundred percent. I definitely, I don't, I don't know what people would like about him. Like genuinely like in the way that we like Han or we like Luke because he is supposed to be, he was supposed to be a brat. And he even says like, I got this in the mid rim. Like we're in the outer rim, you know, mm-hmm. like, rim is even a little a little bougie for the outer rim <laughs> right planets you know and like he and i said this too when we were when we were texting about it i was like he's too clean <laughs> he's so clean he, he looks like he looks clean. like mr hollywood yeah he does he just he doesn't fit he, he stands out and again that's like part of the point but yeah when you told me what blast points had said in their patreon episode about you know you're not supposed to like him and then you don't like him <laughs> So there. Like, <laughs> the, the episode, that was the point. <laughs> I was like, yeah, okay, and I think right. it's, it's also funny because this character is like, kind of is kind of Dave-ish to introduce kind of an annoying character, mm-hmm. honestly. Like, especially like an annoying young kid. Not saying that any of the kids that he has introduced are all annoying. I don't, I'm not saying that, but I do think it's his kind of thing. Well, to- do, you, do you think, you know how like Dave famously told Ashley before Ahsoka premiered that like everyone was going to hate her, but like, don't worry, things are going to get better. Do you think this kid was like, are people going to like, like me? And Dave was like, mm. no, <laughs> I think that he probably was like, well, you're playing an unlikable guy. I mean, he knows what happens in the end. I know. I just I'm think sure. It, I think it's funny. Like, well, no, you're no Ahsoka. <laughs> yeah, you're no Ahsoka. Um, 
later, though, with this character who I think I find is so annoying, and I also think his name being Toro is actually kind of interesting as a bull who kind of is noticeable. You know, I think he mm-hmm. is like an, a, no- a noticeable guy. He sticks out like a sore thumb. And I think that's kind of the meaning I extract from the term Toro. Yeah, Taurus. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, where he's just like, you know, he has to stay low, but he can't stay low. And then he's the one who like gets in a big fight with Fennec. And it's just not, it's not great. <laughs> you know, he's he's so messy. And he like falls for certain charms and He's not sly. He's not a great bounty hunter because he has never done it before. So he sticks out. And I think that that's actually interesting. And upon the second viewing, I would say that I don't find him as annoying as I did the first time. <laughs> and I I liked him showing up with the swoop bikes and being like, yeah, they're the best I could get. You yeah, know? Corellia. <laughs> yeah. Really yeah. Which I, I love that too. Yeah. yeah. I, I kind of like how canon now is kind of hammering home that like Corellia is where the big ships come from. Mm-hmm. Like I know that they said that in A New Hope, don't come for me. You know, not like your big Corellian ships. I got it. <laughs> but like the, <laughs> I think it's, I think it's cool. I feel like I've noticed it recently, ever since Solo, really, where it's very much confirmed that like all the ships are built there. You know, you have the ride in Galaxy's Edge that goes there. I, I like it. I think that it, it really grounds this idea of like, oh, that's where all the ships come from. Don't lie. It's just because we're ship people now. Oh, my God. It's so true. <laughs> Anyway, I do think that another form of this kind of revisionist understanding of Tatooine that I think is the best one is the understanding that the Mandalorian and the Tusken Rainers come to. Again, the first time I saw it, I was really thrown off because they even put in like the sound effect that is so famous, Mm -hmm. you know, and I am almost kind of like I get kind of chills when I think about it. I don't know about you, but like the idea that the Tusken Raiders can be bartered with that they're not like savages really is how they're depicted in attack of the clones Mm -hmm. by just speaking their language Mm -hmm. it's it's like it's so good you know and i think that it's really interesting that in episode two chapter two i should use chapter because episode episode is confusing yeah (laughs) in the grand scheme of things so chapter two when you know the mandalorian gets really frustrated with the jawas you know he like almost uh can't speak to them he's yeah, he almost tortures them. <laughs> he is trying to speak their language and they're making fun of him and everything like that. And here it's almost, I do consider it a character growth because here we have the Mandalorian very like quietly and respectfully signing to the Tusken Raiders and all they want to is to barter in order to cross their land. And it's amazing to think about, you know, in the timeline of what r- went wrong and it's just it's so Star Wars to me to for the fracture of that to be communication. Mm-hmm. Like communication was what the like the lack of communication, the lack of understanding, lack of empathy, any sort of understanding between two two different types of people is what like really caused like destruction and you know Anakin murdering like a whole tribe of these Tuscan raiders, right? Or just Tuscans? Like, should we even call them raiders? Because yeah, no. Is that kind of you, you mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like it's Tuscans, and I I think that here is it's just like another it's a beautiful literal example of how hands are a language. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it hundred like it's actually crazy. Like I I feel like I'm going crazy here because I'm like this is insane. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is, and I think we read somewhere online that it was one of the Tuscans was actually played by a Jeff actor, which is mistake me correct me if I'm wrong, but the first time in Star Wars, which. 
is incredible, yeah. actually. Um, I took a couple of sign language courses in college, so it's definitely – it was nice to see it. I was I was trying to read it, but I don't think it's – I don't think it's ASL or anything like that. <laughs> I, was, I was like mimicking it while I was watching it. And I was like, I don't, I don't know this. <laughs> um, I'm also not at all fluent in sign language. Um, I, only, I only took like two in, introductory classes. But yeah, I think, I mean, I feel like you pretty much said it. And like just the idea that this, you know, the Mandalorian says it too, that because the Toro calls them Tuscan Raiders. He even says, like, that filth. And uh, the Mandalorian says, well, actually, like, everyone else are the Raiders or everyone else are the trespassers. Like, this is this is their planet, actually. And it just kind of makes you wonder when when all of this shifted. Like, these are all – all of these, these tragedies in all of these different systems has been ongoing for so long. And that's just, that's just the nature of time <laughs> and like really big mm-hmm. picture. And so it is cool to like come back to Tatooine and see how things have changed and the ways that they haven't too. Like there's still this stigma clearly around calling them Tuscan Raiders, um, but actually knowing who they are completely changes your perspective and gets you passage uh, and safety. And, you know, it makes you wonder like, uh, kind of jumping ahead a little bit, talking about Fennec Shand, the elite mercenary, and the Mandalorian says she made her name from killing all the top crime syndicates, including the Huts. And so it's like, okay, was it the Huts that brought this whole enterprise to Tatooine because it was an outer rim planet? Like the Huts aren't actually from Tatooine originally, and they brought their their business here because they could do it in secret and away from the core planets or the mid-rim planets and they completely just caused upheaval for the peoples that were already living on Tatooine like the Tuscans and now they're gone and so are things changing things are changing on Tatooine but has everything changed has there been enough time for all of those things to change I don't know uh, how many people know the Tuscans language how many people are out there C-3PO, does he know it? No, he can't bend his fingers, so he's probably not going to be a good person for Tuscan sign language. <laughs> That's so interesting. I didn't really think about that. Yeah, so like even like if droids aren't even compatible to work with them, and, and who knows? That's, you know, that's f- weird speculation territory that is not <laughs> at all – it doesn't even matter in this discussion. <laughs> but yeah, like who – were there other people that were here too or was it just the Tuscans? And then, you know, all of Moss Eisley comes in like, you know, that colonization storyline that that's present here on Tatooine, you know, knowing that we already had a slavery storyline as well that cropped up in this on this planet from, you know, the start of Anakin's story. You know, it is it is cool. I know, like we said, I know a lot of people weren't necessarily pro coming back to Tatooine, but I think having it as a backdrop is actually quite interesting given where we are in the timeline. Yeah, it makes you really think, like, is slavery still a part of the galaxy? And is mm-hmm. it still in Tatooine? Is Watto still because there? I, I, right? I think that all these questions are actually super valid because I do wonder how it's going to... To me, I think that, like, part of Anakin's arc is, like, somehow writing that wrong of slavery. And I, I, I just really want to know what the status is at this point in history. I'm not sure if it's been spelled out in a book somewhere. I'm not aware. And I think that you almost are kind of begging to ask on this planet, like, what are things like now that things have progressed so much? Mm -hmm. And now that we've seen a little piece of that, it's like, okay, 
where's Watto? <laughs> let's, let's go again. Let's go back. Let's actually take let's take a tour, a tour of homes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, let's talk about Fennec Shand. So I think that she's super cool. You alluded to this, that she made her name for by killing for all the crime syndicates, which I'm like, oh, my God, does that mean Crimson Dawn? Like, are we going to get a Crimson Dawn reference? Please <laughs> give me a Crimson Dawn reference. I love when crime syndicates are kind of brought back in because I think that for so long we thought it was like just the huts or something. Mm-hmm. And then now it's when you think about like how long those crime syndicates, quote unquote, have been functioning it's from solo or like even before then you know for so long really when you have all these different parties and then what happens to them when the empire goes and i think that if if that's a question that the man the mandalorian will potentially raise just by dropping this this uh thing that will probably go over a lot of people's heads um i am super interested yeah and it definitely was a, I, like i think it's it so definitely cool. was a really <laughs> intriguing detail that only not only Dave but that Dave is good at dropping yeah exactly and I think that it's it's super cool that she was an assassin and like I I think that she she worked for the empire which I think is also interesting and something that well I mean we saw yeah we saw the bounty hunters being charged by the empire in a new art in Empire Strikes Back so they're using this kind of independent contract work yeah, but she's been on the run for the new the, since in the New Republic since the New Republic rose because all of her like Contacts. compatriots really have been like uh, put into prison, which I think is also really interesting. So my point of view is at the end of this, she is alive, mm-hmm. but I don't know if. I, I feel like it, upon second watch, I'm like, well, she was really shot like straight into the chest and she'd been laying there for a while when they returned to the body and everything. And I'm just like, that was really short. And I really hate that because I think that just by those few sentences alone, you have a really interesting character with a great backstory that's like not unlike Boba Fett, mm-hmm. honestly, that I'm like, OK, so if she's super well known, the Mandalorian knows her. And, like, there's a huge bounty to kill her, which I also think is interesting. Like, the Bounty Hunter Guild. Like, what's up with that? You know? You stop and think about that. Yeah. And they- Why would they want her dead? Yeah. Hmm. Hmm. Why? You know? Like, yeah. I actually, I hadn't considered that yeah, until no, this moment. No, I know. Me too. We're both like, oh, oh <laughs> huh. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I was... I was really surprised that Toro actually shot her. He he definitely, that was unexpected, I thought, to see him kind of make that turn. And it made me think he was actually a lot smarter than I gave him credit for. Right. <laughs> but he was still stupid for underestimating the Mandalorian, obviously. But I don't, I didn't think she was dead initially because, you know, we see people get shot with blasters all the time. And they're kind of like, when they get a direct hit, they're down immediately. And she kind of wobbled there and, like, listened to his kind of evil villain speech for a second before finally dropping to the ground. So that kind of made me think that maybe, like, her armor was protecting her on some level, too. Because, like, the blaster shot was so – it was point blank. It was close range, too. It would just surprise me that she was still up when we see blasters being used against stormtroopers all the time with their armor. And when they get hit, they go down. (laughs) Um, mm-hmm. immediately and I don't maybe that's a thing about like the blast the blaster he picked Toro picked up from you know the other bounty hunter that was on the do back 
I don't know. Um, I don't think she's dead, though. I hope – I really hope she's not because it's just not great. <laughs> uh, it's really to, not. It's like the most diplomatic way I can put it um, in a show that suffers from the lack of women to kill her off. Almost immediately. Yeah, I don't, I don't even need to discuss that. It's just – it's bad. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. And and the I had read this other thread too about – so I forget where it was from. But someone on Twitter was talking about how like they thought that the Mandalorian was going to be like him kind of slowly accumulating this team as he went. And the fact that like all of the people, these like big players that we've met that have been on press tours and everything, like to think that they're just kind of like in these one and done episodes is kind of – is that's definitely subverting expectations. And so like, I remember, you know, leaving Cara Dune last week was really surprising too. And we're like, no, like we've got to see her again. What was the point of having these like super fascinating characters that have been so heavily promoted? That just seems off. And the same goes for Fennec too. She is, she has such, she had such a cool costume. I loved her hair. (laughs) She -hmm. was such a badass and she, like the way that she worked to try and manipulate uh, Toro, I thought was really fascinating. And, and I want, I want to see her fight some more. I think she would actually put up like a really good fight against the Mandalorian because it seems like she kind of knows his weaknesses. Um, She knows about the child. She knows about his armor. I bet she could dismantle it. You know, I, I just really hope that she's not dead for a myriad of reasons, uh, both for like practical reasons of the representation issues of it, but also from the story reasons. I think she's, I think she's a good person to not kill <laughs> as a character existing within the story. Also, like not to mention that she knows that the asset is a child, which I thought was like so mm-hmm. interesting that like there are whispers now that the asset is a child and that people know that the Mandalorian has the child with him. And it's, you know, people are becoming aware this like network of bounty hunters and assassins and, you know, dark people who understand like what's happening basically on the black market for offers. I think that that's, Mm -hmm. I think it's really interesting that like that knowledge is known. And as the longer the Mandalorian keeps himself in public, which I think is exactly what's going to happen, the more people are going to know about that. And I think that what what that transition is going to look like of like slowly whispers, people know about the child, then suddenly people find out that the child is powerful or what or something like the reasoning why the child is wanted by the empire or the sieges of the empire, whatever. And then Mm -hmm. that understanding that the Mandalorian is never alone because he has the child with him. Like, what is that going (laughs) to even look like? He's constantly leaving the child. I know. Even though time and time again, Baby Yoda has followed him. It's so cute. As soon as he put him him in the thing, I was like, do you learn nothing? Like, (laughs) He's just a dumb boy, Caitlin. He'll learn. I know. I don't know. <laughs> like, don't put him in there. He's gonna come after you. <laughs> sure enough, he does. Also, he leaves him for like three days. What does he think? He's just gonna sleep the in- for all three days? I guess that did I, happen I, one yeah. time. 
<laughs> Again, like the man, like the Mandalorian should be keeping like a chart. You know, like I remember when my sister had her kids. She she had twins, so she had two at once. But she like kept a chart of like this is when they ate. This is when I changed their diet. Like it was very formulaic and like very specific to like make sure that you were adequately keeping them alive. <laughs> and the Mandalorian is just like flying by the seat of his pants, but like very coolly. He's not like chaotic about anything. But I'm like. Do you have bone broth on the razor crest and I just haven't seen it yet? Do baby Yoda's not need to eat all the time? I don't I don't know. So, yeah. But the the topic of like Fennec and her coming back and like the the tracker issue, which again, I I remember last week it was like you and I are the only ones who care about the trackers. <laughs> the Mandalorian does not care about the trackers. <laughs> um, but it, the and you you've been talking about this a lot throughout the series about like watching the recaps at the beginning, and that was what they kind of harped on in this recap before the episode started was when grief was saying. I give trackers to everyone. (laughs) 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 And then that did kind of come up. And, and, you know, remember in episode three or whatever, the escape, when they escaped from um, that planet, everyone was there. Everyone saw uh, the Mandalorian leave with the child. So they all know and, you know, they're all going to be talking about it. So it makes sense that things have kind of spread at this point. So I'm glad that we're still seeing trickles of that um, coming up throughout the episodes. Yeah, for sure. I just have to say that baby Yoda toddling down the skiff, so sad, Mm. was like (laughs) so cute. It was too much. He looked so sleepy and tired. (laughs) So restless because he he misses the Mandalorian. He's like, where am I? He just woke up from a long winter's nap. (laughs) (laughs) So cute yeah that was, and then it was that so was... cute when he was in the arms of toro as the mandalorian killed toro <laughs> and then and then when toro was dead they're like where'd he go where'd he go and he like had scurried off to the side because it was so loud and the amy sedaris character was like oh it's so loud for your big ears i was like it is <laughs> it really is <laughs> I, uh, me, right, we've been talking about how I've been missing the force in these episodes. I was like, oh, my God, he transported. <laughs> oh, my God, maybe he did, Caitlin. He could have. Literally, that's what I thought. I was like, oh, my God, where- he's going to show up, like, in the cockpit of the Razor Crest. That's literally where my <laughs> galaxy brain went. I was like, he's up there. He's up <laughs> there. He's, he's, he's going to be like, whoa. <laughs> that's like, so funny. He did not come down that gangplank that fast. <laughs> so that's where my head went. <laughs> that's so funny. Yeah. So the ending. Oh, my God. Okay. This is like, again, did not even realize this was something to be discussed the first time I saw it. Did you? No. It's so That's funny. That's why I was like, oh, she's alive. Yeah. I was like, oh, okay, that whoever just came, came back for her body. And that's that's all I took from that. That I didn't even think that. I kind of thought it was the Mandalorian who came back, even though, yeah, of course, we both did. upon realized, like, upon rewatch, I'm like, oh, he left the planet. Or at least, like, yeah. he, he left the docking bay. I guess he can go yeah. anywhere. But I was like, okay. <laughs> and they made a point to show that. They lingered on it. I thought it was kind of interesting. I know that what they were doing there with the jet engines from the Razor Crest looking like two suns, two moons, really, for Tatooine. Mm-hmm. 
in the first 24 hours afterwards, I was convinced it was going to be Giancarlo Esposito's character who's coming soon. And he's like an ex-imperial. And I thought that was super interesting. And maybe he was like collecting her for some reason. But now I'm kind of like, okay, maybe people on the internet are correct. And maybe it is Boba Fett and I'm no. not prepared. <laughs> Keelan, the sound effect is the same. <laughs> I just feel like we can't like we can't discount this because the sound effect is the same. The spurs on the boots. And I'm like, is he the gunslinger? Because he's the gunslinger. Because who else is the gunslinger? I guess the 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 young kid. Sure, but really, (laughs) you can't see me right now, but I'm weeping. (laughs) It's just so much. I don't. I just don't know how I feel about that, but. I feel like maybe it makes sense. Like, why else are we on Tatooine? Why else would be on Tatooine? You know what I, I don't know. It's so that we can get a glimpse into the way that the socioeconomic status and culture of Tatooine has shifted in the past five years. That's why sure. we're on Tatooine. I agree. <laughs> and that is why we're on Tatooine. But no. does it make sense that Boba Fett is also there? It could make sense. 20,000 leagues under the sand. That's where he should be. (laughs) Caitlin, Darth Maul was sliced in half. I know. I know. This is is the problem. (laughs) (laughs) Palpatine was thrown down a shaft. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. But that blue smoke came up real fast from there. And if there's one thing we've learned from casual blood sacrifices is that blue smoke follows crazy-ish around. (laughs) Okay. But then you also have Jabba the Hutt saying that you will contemplate your suffering for X amount of years. I don't remember the exact years. So you could just be be living inside the Sarlacc pit. I get it. And it's funny because one of the things that you and I have always been like, well, actually, Dave Filoni said this about how like characters don't have to die. <laughs> yeah. And so in, I'm like, characters don't have to die. And then in this instance, I'm like, no, Dave, leave him dead. <laughs> <laughs> and it's so funny, too, that like this is Dave's episode, <laughs> that this possibility is even happening. Um, <laughs> well, Dave brought back Darth Maul. I know. No, George brought back Darth Maul. That's true. Dave was like, okay. <laughs> I was like, I can make this work. <laughs> Give him spider legs. <laughs> the thing is, though, it's like, if it is Boba Fett, that means I'm going to have to suffer through a whole backstory for Boba Fett at some point of how he came out of the Sarlacc pit. And is that a story I'm really interested in? No. <laughs> I don't know. I Like, to be honest, I don't know. I, guess- I think that... Every time I get a glimpse into Boba Fett at all, like in Clone Wars, I was always intrigued. Yeah. And and I think that the show is doing something interesting about perhaps bringing up cloning. Like it is. We talked about this in episode in chapter two, Caitlin, about the attack of the clones vibes Boba that Fett we're getting. Boba Fett already has so much. Does he need this too? <laughs> No, but he's he is a clone, like a de-accelerated, de-aged clone. Mm-hmm. Is there some sort of link here between y- Baby Yoda, who I've kind of theorized is wanted for his like de-aging situation, mm-hmm. and Boba Fett, who has been genetically altered? Like, I think that there's really like, I think that I will be, I will roll my eyes. I have already rolled my eyes a lot. <laughs> 
I don't want the show to become the Boba Fett show. I really don't. But I do think that it's kind of interesting. Yeah, it is. I had, yeah, I agree with you. There are, like, when you think about it in that perspective, and that means we'll be getting a lot of prequel content, too. So, as far as... And Jon Favreau has come around on the prequels, Caitlin. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) All signs point to Boba. (laughs) I mean, or it could just be someone else, but it's just such a tease. It is a tease. It is a tease. It's supposed to be... In an episode where ears are supposed to perk up on the familiar... It's interesting that it would end with this. And that's what's also like, okay, so if this episode is in some ways subverting our expectations, are our expectations going to be subverted for episode six, potentially, about that not being Boba Fett? I could see it happen. But, and it could be like someone else entirely. Mm -hmm. Sure. But I do think that like, it's a it's definitely a possibility and it's a big possibility. Yeah, it's definitely a possibility. And the thing is, you're right. I have liked things that have come from Boba Fett's character. I think Daniel Logan loves Boba Fett as a character, so that's good. And I, I liked the stories that he was a part of in Clone Wars. They were actually really good episodes that he was in. So I think you're right. It does have an interesting connection. Doesn't mean I want it. <laughs> yeah. I had um, one of my friends at work was talking to me about The Mandalorian, and she doesn't know, like, she doesn't watch any of the shows or anything. So she doesn't know, like, the only Mandalorian she knows is Boba Fett. But she said she was like, wouldn't it be interesting if it was Luke at the end? Well, FYI, Boba Fett's not a Mandalorian. He just wears Mandalorian armor. True. But you know what I mean. You know what I'm saying. Yeah. <laughs> but she said, wouldn't it have been interesting if it was like Luke at the end? And at first I was like, it's 100% not Luke. <laughs> and then I was like, I still don't think it's Luke. Let me just be clear. I don't I don't think it's Luke. I'd be very surprised if any saga characters ended up in The Mandalorian. I don't think it is. But it definitely like got my head spinning about, okay, what, what if it was Luke? What if there was some cue to make us think it was Luke? I don't think there is. But what if it was? Like, wouldn't that be, you know, like Ben Solo is five years old, four, four or five years old in this timeline. He's starting to use his force powers, perhaps Luke hears through the force or through their networks with the new republic about this asset that is like a yoda creature like maybe luke knows that i don't know i was like that's actually a really interesting story like is there some version out there where luke is hearing about these things and seeking them out too in order to like learn more about the force or something like that i don't know i was like like I said, the first, when she first said it, I was kind of like, mm, no, it's definitely like, no, 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 no. But then I thought about it and I was like, okay, I still don't, it's still not Luke, but that's a really interesting story that could grow out of that. And it made me, it made me think, I think what it was is it made me think about what exactly Luke is doing in this timeline, like where he is. And the fact that we, again, you know, are back on Tatooine. That's obviously where he grew up. I don't know. It was just this interesting kind of suggestion that really got my wheels spinning about the Skywalkers, <laughs> which doesn't yeah, take much. <laughs> true. I, I think that at this point, Luke Skywalker, I believe, is searching for artifacts, like Jedi artifacts, searching for temples mm-hmm. and things that you saw in Battlefront 2. Mm-hmm. And I I think that it would be an interesting almost recontextualization of baby Yoda being like kind of considered an artifact, if that makes sense. Yeah. Something that would help him study the force well, in some way. Asset. Yeah. Yeah. I think that it's, I think that's kind of interesting. When Caitlin texted me this, I, I was like, no, 
goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> and then I was like, well, in the same way that she was. Yeah. So I think that I think that's something that maybe you can like put in your back pocket. Maybe it'll come up later, given the fact that baby Yoda is force sensitive. What does that mean? And I hope to God baby Yoda is not at the Jedi Temple. <laughs> no. <laughs> so. <laughs> yeah, no, 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 no. <laughs> No. end of story <laughs> yeah that cannot happen <laughs> no <laughs> yeah I'm at, yeah I don't even want to go there <laughs> no yeah so was there anything else you wanted to bring up about this episode um I just want to say that I I I really did like this episode on the second viewing and I'm really enjoying the Mandalorian I feel like this episode is one of our more critical ones but I hope that you understand that, like, with critique, we critique our most favorite people. Mm-hmm. Like, it's it's hard because I think that Caitlin and I love Dave Filoni. It's no secret. And I think that this was an interesting experiment that I think will benefit from a full season. Mm-hmm. Like you said in the beginning, I felt like when I finished th- this past episode, I wanted to just turn on the next one. <laughs> and in a binging culture, I feel like this episode won't be as controversial as it feels like in this week between. Yeah. Because we're left with so many unanswered questions that are honestly pretty problematic. And it makes me feel uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. I don't really like that feeling, and I would have liked to just go on to the next episode. That said, I do like the weekly releases which I was surprised about because I thought that Caitlin and I were really going to love like just binging it, doing a whole like 12 hour podcast session. <laughs> we had planned this out and, and everything. And I, but I do like the weekly camaraderie that happens. I mean, clearly it's working. It's just Mandalorian is the number one show in the, in the country, in the world. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think that it's, and that's just within like the, a few markets Disney plus is in, which is really interesting. Mm-hmm. And I think that it's, it is sustaining that like train engine, you know, chugging along based off of the week to week schedule. And I think that they're doing a really smart thing by doing that. But I think this might be the first week that I'm like, oof, can't wait for the next one. Yeah. Yeah. I think, it, yeah, it definitely was an interesting experiment because I know that we were really looking forward to this because we were like, Dave. <laughs> and then it, it wasn't. It wasn't at all what we expected because I think even last week we were like, it was going to be the force stuff in yeah, it. Yeah, I think that I think and that you and I really put a lot of pressure, pressure. Mm-hmm. on ourselves and the show to deliver hard on the big force questions. And it yeah. just – I don't think they're going to do that right out of the gate. But again, we're not right out of the gate. This is I five think we out are of right out of the gate. We're really we only like an hour and a half into this whole story. No, we're not. We've done we, – yes, we are. We're in at least like – hour two or three still we're at episode five we're we're just past the hump there there could be like now we have three more episodes they could each be an hour and that would still be a huge stories that they could tell in each of them yeah a hundred percent a hundred percent and i think you're right we did put a lot of pressure on ourselves as far or not i wouldn't like pressure is not the right word but expectations on ourselves because we are great admirers of Dave and like we enjoyed the first episode. So like 
we're going to like, this one's going to be even better because, you know, it's his second directorial debut. And, and that being said, like that was wrong of us to have that much expectation. That also doesn't mean that the episode was good. But the thing is, it's like even with and, I, and I've definitely been more critical of this episode than Charlotte has been and like of the show as a whole as I'm still kind of settling into it. But I think that I'm still excited every Friday when I get to see what's coming next. And I think that's the mark of a good show is even if like I'm still getting used to a story or a particular episode doesn't isn't my favorite. I'm still invested in the characters from what we've seen so far and excited to see what's coming next. And like every Friday, I'm like, oh, man, like I have to wait a whole other seven days (laughs) until we get to come back here. And I think that that for me at the end of the day, that that means I'm still enjoying it, um, even if even if there are some things that I'm still like trying to work out in my own head of how I feel. So yeah, I, I definitely think it's good to be critical of the of the people that you admire most and especially like within the Star Wars world. And to be honest, this episode didn't do it for me. Um, but I am still like talking it through. That's the thing too, like that we're lucky to have the show like this because even talking through it more, like I appreciated it more on my second viewing, but like I said at the top of the show, I was like, my opinion honestly hasn't changed that much. I'm just okay with it now. But even talking through it, I've been like, oh, you know, like actually there were like these pieces of it that I find a lot more intriguing now even in the middle of our conversation and like I said I do think that this episode like in a weird way stands very well on its own so I don't know I think it's it's definitely like I think you said like an experiment for all of us (laughs) and for you and I in particular of having a Dave episode that's not force focused that wasn't our favorite like (laughs) all these kind of weird things existing within this same 35 minute episode (laughs) um but yeah, I'm very much looking forward to this week's episode to see what happens next. Do we know who's directing? I don't remember off the top of my head. Yeah. All right. So that'll be a fun surprise. Also, I will say yeah. that the- Oh, I think it might be Rick Fumeua. Mm-hmm. Um, I w- Which is going to be great. Yeah. So. Yeah. I will say that the music cue that played when they had the, when they first did the long shot of them with the swoop bikes- Oh, so, so good. good. I was like, yes. I also think that that shot was really, really great. Yeah. And say what you want about Dave's live action directing. I've seen a lot of critique, but I thought that the sweeping shots of that were really, mm. really great. And it really made me feel I got the Star Wars feeling. Yeah. Yeah. I, I really liked that shot. I, I see. I think that Dave's like actual directing style live action, I think he has a lot of unique shots like angles that I don't necessarily think we're always used to seeing and at least from these two episodes that I've noticed and again that could just be a product of like Dave himself or like the story you know there are so many people behind screen but I've no I've no, I have noticed it in Dave's episodes um I also will say I appreciated how the end like the fight in the dark it wasn't actually that dark like it was dark but I could see what was going on <laughs> so which is true. not always the case I know Game of Thrones had a huge problem with that it's like can't say anything <laughs> well I think that that is interesting because I was thinking about it in my second time watching it that the last time we saw like a fight on Tatooine at a docking bay, it was the Millennium Falcon escaping to take off and everyone gets away and it's really happy and exciting. Mm-hmm. And here we have a shot of, 
you know, the Mandalorian rolls up in the dark. It's already kind of creepy because the swoop bike is there. And you know that, like, Doom is waiting for him when he walks mm-hmm. in. And based off of the fact that it's dark versus light to me, it was another subversion of the familiar where I think I understood that this is not going to go well for whatever is happening in here. In fact, Toro is probably going to die in order for him to get mm-hmm. away. Yeah. I was even thinking about like the first fight between Toro and Fennec that was in darkness as well. And it was, it was, I, w- I would actually like to go back now and compare rebels twin sons because that fight takes place in darkness as well. Like in the middle of the desert and mm-hmm. Tatooine compared to this one, which isn't, like you're on an outcrop of rocks and stuff, but it'd be interesting to compare the two actually. Mm-hmm. Totally. Okay. Well, I think that is going to wrap up this week's episode about the Mandalorian, the gunslinger with the, the <laughs> chapter five directed and written by Dave Filoni. Uh, we are going to be podcasting. <laughs> just in general, in the future. Uh, <laughs> we have a new episode of The Mandalorian coming out. We may get that episode up before Tross. We're hoping to. So just keep a lookout for our Twitter uh, to know if there are any delays or anything coming up in episodes. So you can find us on Twitter at SkytalkersPod or our personal handles. Mine is at Caitlin Flusher and Charlotte's is at Crarity. We're more or less off Twitter now before the rise of Skywalker, but you know, we're addicts, so we can't be completely <laughs> off. So you'll definitely see us on there, but we are we're doing our best to not be on there as often, if at all. We'll one hundred percent be off after next Monday's after the film premiere, though. I am deleting yeah. that. I'm so I'm so stressed. I'm just like I want to see the movie so bad. And we're so close. We're we're in single digits now at time of recording. So that's great. Anyway, uh, you can find us on Twitter uh, sometimes before The Rise of Skywalker, but definitely after The Rise of Skywalker. And you can also find us on our website, skytalkers.com, Facebook, and Instagram, wherever you get your social media news and enjoyment from. You can also email us, skytalkerspodcast at gmail.com. If you haven't left us a review on iTunes, let that be the last thing on your to-do list before 2020. Or before the rise of Skywalker, <laughs> leave the Sky Talkers a review on iTunes. I know you want to. So. The rise of Sky Talkers. <laughs> yeah, the, ri- the rise of Sky Talkers <laughs> reviews. <laughs> um, so if you haven't done that, we would really appreciate it. It gives us a lot of encouragement um, to see and it helps other people find our show too and join in the conversation. And if you're interested in other ways to support us as well, you can also head over to our Patreon if you're interested in some of those rewards. And I want to say a huge thank you to our amazing patrons, Joey, Jason, Fiorella, Marty, Spencer, Kathy Gee, Jenna, Jessica, Mike, Thomas, Bridget, Shelbo, James, Kate, Nathan, Sam, Bailey, Eric, Kelly, Neil, Mary, Larry, James, Sarah, Susanna, Z, Cherie, Diana, Becca, Lynn, Katie, Courtney, Amy, Kelly, Jim, Suara, Bradley, Eunice, Danielle, Matt, Eaton, Garrett, Debo, Irina, Edith, Jacqueline, Rachel, Lady Vader, John, Kevin, Ian, Raz, Lakshana, Candice, Ewan, Tom, Daniel, Heather, Brooklyn, Kimma, Julia, Matthew, Captain Britton, Jackson, Carrie, Jackson, Raphael, David, Ada, Liz, Christian, Nicole, Jonathan, Rachel, Aaron, Brooke, Rebecca, Kathy, I, Rebel, Kimberly, Vundacast Productions, Christian, Adam, Megan, Courtney, Santara, Thomas, John, Megan, Kate, Matthew, Fernanda, Chell, Manny, David, Claudia, Kate, Lady Valkyrie, Jenny, Blessed Cheesemaker, Danny, 
Lumpararoo, Patrick James, Hammy, Neil, The Dorky Diva Show, Megan Stewart, Kyle, Jennifer, Kels, Chastity, Aliyah, Travis, Katie, Alyssa, Rebecca, Delaney, Angela, Ali, Natalia, Daz, Serene, Shireen, Molly, Rebuild, Matt, Jen, Jordan, Isabel, Camille, Amy, Jared, Claire, Brad, Caitlin, Rebecca, Helly, Scott, BJ, Casey, Lauren, Tom, Edith, The Clashing Sabres Podcast, and Chuck. Thank you all so much for supporting us. Your support means the world. Yes, thank you guys so much. And as always, may the force be with you. May the force be with you. Sky Talkers is a member of the Star Wars Escape Pods Network. Explore more great content and get to know our sister shows at WeAreEscapePods.com and on Twitter at WeAreEscapePods. The Star Wars Escape Pods Network, promoting positivity in fandom.